the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Psalm 33 says, Blessed or happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Christians are called to be blessed. They're called to be happy. Christians should be the happiest people around. And in general, with some exceptions, we are. Are you happy or are you one of those exceptions? <laughs> well, that's a different program topic we'll deal with sometime down the road. This is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. They're on the web at highlands.us, and I'm Mike Trout. More information about the church, of course, can be found on that website, and past broadcasts can be listened to on our ministry website, studyversebyverse.com. We're listener-supported. You can join with us financially on that website as well. Continuing his study on the Beatitudes, found in the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, here's Pastor Layton. So here, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, how to live a life that is blessed. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So it begins with seeing the crowds. Jesus had large crowds that were following him. He had become exceedingly famous throughout the province. And uh, he, had, he had been busy preaching. He had been healing. He had healed a government official's son, Peter's uh, mother-in-law in Capernaum, a, a man with leprosy, a paralyzed man. And, and so wherever he, he went, people heard about it, and they wanted to go and, and see him, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and the miracles contributed to his uh, popularity. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, or the mount, from which we get the title, Sermon on the Mount, the mountain. And although we call it the Sermon on the Mount, scholars, many scholars believe this may be a compilation or a compendium of sermons that Jesus taught, and there's a number of reasons why they think that this might be the case. For instance, portions of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew are found spread all throughout Luke's gospel. And when Luke talks about the Sermon on the Mount, he, he suggests that the Lord came down and stood on a plane, thus suggesting it was actually another occasion. But it's probable that Jesus, being the consummate teacher, repeated himself often. Good teachers do. We also have another clue from the writing of Matthew that suggests that this might have been a compilation of sermons. You see, uh, he writes and he uses... There's, there's two different uh, versions of past tense. There's the aorist uh, version of past tense, which describes a particular action completed at a particular time in the past. You could uh, illustrate this by the sentence, he shut the gate. That's an event that took place in the past. That is an aorist. But there's also uh, an imperfect tense, which describes something in the past that is continuous and repeated. That could be illustrated with the sentence, it was his custom to shut the gate. So it's describing events in the past, but it was a custom. It was not one particular event. And the point is, is that when Matthew says Jesus taught, he doesn't use the aorist talking about a singular event. He uses the imperfect, suggesting that this may have been multiple events. Now, having said that, 
It's interesting to note that Matthew describes Jesus going up to a mountain, and there's a definitive article here, meaning it's a specific mountain. He's talking about a specific mountain. Now, he might have preached on that mountain one time or many times. But it's interesting that he talks about a specific mountain. Do we know what mountain that is? No, that, that information has been lost somewhere in history. We don't know which mountain he taught from. But a few years ago, uh, a group from our church was visiting the Holy Land, and the guide pointed to a particular part of uh, a mountain near Capernaum where the acoustics are so perfect that one person could speak to thousands of people without any artificial amplification. Now, God created sound, and God created acoustics, and God knows everything. And God, in ancient past, could have looked forward and said, that's the place I'm going to have my son teach. I'm going to create a natural amphitheater right there so that he'll have the acoustics so that he can speak to thousands at one time. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, the crowds are there. But this sermon is actually intended for his disciples. The crowds are there. They're listening in. We find that later reference in the passage. But it's not to them this sermon is really addressed. It's to his disciples. Now, when we hear the word disciple, the first thing that probably comes to our mind is the 12. The 12 disciples. But Jesus actually, when you go through Scripture, you find out he had concentric circles of disciples. For instance, there was an inner circle with Peter, James, and John. They were with him oftentimes when the rest of the 12 were not, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then you had the 12, and then in uh, Luke chapter 10, there's a reference to 72 disciples, another larger circle. Um, This teaching is for all Jesus' disciples, including us. Now, in Jewish culture, if you were preaching, you'd stand, but if you were teaching, you would sit. And that's why even today when a university establishes a course of study, they call the leadership position the chair, the chair of the philosophy department or the chair of the psychology department, for instance. So the fact that Matthew observes here Jesus taking a seat is indicating that what he's about to teach us is official. And that's further emphasized by what Matthew says next in verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... He opened his mouth is a literal rendering of a formula that's based in ancient literature. They called it a a, a Semitic idiom. It's a a formula that's that's found, for instance, in Daniel chapter 10 and and Job uh, chapter 3. And what what it does is it functions to bring emphasis to what follows. And the phrase, he opened his mouth, is not simply a decorative way of saying he said, because in Greek that has a, a double significance. It was used to describe... The solemn oracles of the ancient Greek Greek mythology. And it was also used to describe when someone was opening their heart and speaking from their heart. And so what Matthew is describing here is is that Jesus opened his heart. And what he had to say to us was very, very important. What did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed. The Beatitudes describe how every Christian should live, and every Beatitudes tells how to be blessed and begins with the word blessed. In the Greek, it's the word makarios, and 
in, in classical Greek, it wasn't used to describe humans. It was used to describe the ancient mythical gods of Greece who lived high on Mount Olympus and they were far above and removed from the struggles and circumstances that disappointed mankind. And so it describes a satisfaction that is not dependent upon circumstances. Some of our modern translations use the word happy instead of the word blessed. And it's important for us to know that it's not using the word happy in a worldly sense. Because the worldly sense of happiness is entirely based on circumstance. If I can just get that job, if I can just get that car, if I can just get that wife or that husband, if I can just get that, if my circumstances change, then I can be happy. That's the worldly way of looking at happiness. But the happiness that's spoken of here does not depend on circumstances. A Christian's happiness, their blessedness, their joy doesn't come from their circumstances. And it can't be taken away by circumstances. Jesus said in John 16, no one will take your joy from you. So the Beatitudes are speaking of a blessedness, a joy, where sorrow and loss, pain and grief cannot, cannot remove it. It's a joy that shines through tears. Nothing in this world, nothing in this life can take it away. Psalm 33 says, blessed or happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 32, blessed or happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Christians are called to be blessed. They're called to be happy. Christians should be the happiest people around. And in general, with some exceptions, we are. And you know, we are sometimes happy, mean blessed, even in life's most difficult times, like as in with the passing of a loved one. You know, over the years I've had the opportunity to do many funerals and many memorials. And I've talked with some of the funeral directors, memorial directors here in the area, and they can always tell the difference between a Christian memorial or funeral and a non-Christian. Because a non-Christian, there is a, a desperation that is not present of the Christian funeral or memorial. See, Christians know that death is not the end. And that by grace, through God, we're going to see the loved ones who are in Christ again and celebrate again. Uh, in a study on the Beatitudes, Billy Graham has written, If by happiness we mean serenity, confidence, contentment, peace, joy, and soul satisfaction then Jesus was supremely happy. Now, we never read of his laughing, though I'm sure he did, and he was not given to pleasure-seeking, hilariousness, jokes, or poking fun at others. His happiness was not dependent on outward circumstances. He did not have to have an outward stimulus to make him happy. He had learned a secret that allowed him to live above the circumstances of life and fear of the future. He moved with calmness, certainty, and serenity through the most trying circumstances, even death. Now certainly, if anyone had genuine happiness and blessedness, it was Jesus. Jesus modeled the Beatitudes for us. In fact, as we go through the Gospels, it's, it's, it's possible to find passages that identify each of these descriptions of character in the Beatitudes with Jesus. He was meek. He hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. He was persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if Jesus was able to be blessed and happy and joyful, even in 
these circumstances, so can we if we follow the example of Jesus. This world has a form of happiness, but it's always temporary. It's always temporary. The only place we're going to find true blessing is from God. And the first step to receiving God's blessing is to receive forgiveness of sin, to receive our salvation from sin. And that's a clue to what follows. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Well, if you just joined us, Pastor Leighton Sheely is our teacher. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and he's taking us through a portion of the book of Matthew called the Beatitudes. And we will continue with more on the next edition of our broadcast. If you missed any of these messages, you can find them on the website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Make sure you let us know that you do listen to the program here on this station. And if you'd like to join with us as a financial partner, you can do that very easily and safely, again, at highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a blessed rest of your day and can join us at this same time tomorrow when we'll once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.